We're going to talk about the, the, the book of Revelation as we continue on. We covered the first uh, few verses last week, um, and they were this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, who God, which God gave to, us, to him to show his servant what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So as we talked about last week, the book was written late in, in uh, AD 95-96. And the purpose was God wanted to give us um, a, a book, uh, understanding of what was going to happen and what was going to take place. And, and we started with the first couple verses where we learned that that this is from Jesus Christ. It's a revelation that God has given to us, the church, and it is also to prepare us for the moment. It's important to be prepared for the moment, and God does not want his church to be unprepared. We want to be people who prepare, people who are ready to know what is coming forward, because if you know and if you prepare what is going to happen, it's okay. It's okay. Just like, you know, when, when cross country would come around, they would have those summer runs and you would prepare for the moment because you knew that the season was beginning. And just like when I ran in the only, the only race I ever ran in, a two mile race, the only, I prepared by not preparing. And when the day came, I wasn't prepared. Everyone knew that. I mean, the sun came down. The guy is still on his bike saying, come on, man, I want to go home. I mean, I finally finished, though. I did. I finished. But I wasn't prepared. But when you prepare for the moment, you're ready. And God wants us as a church to be prepared. And that's why he says um, in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud, uh, aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart when it is written because the time is near. Read it, listen, take it to heart. I challenge you, when you read the book of Revelation, just read it out loud. Because the Bible says, blessed you will be when you read aloud the words. Go ahead, read it out loud, and watch God do what he's promised. Now, this is kind of the setting up of the book of Revelation here. We, we must understand it's a book of prophecy. We must understand it was given to the church. And we must understand that God wants us to be prepared and that he will bless us for taking these things to heart and reading these things. Do you know that we tend to say a lot of things that we can't back up? We tend to say a lot of things that we can't back up. I remember telling my buddies in fourth grade, I'm like, hey, you see that girl over there? I'm like, yeah, that's my girlfriend. And they're like, no, man, she ain't your girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, man, she's my girlfriend. I even carved it in my tree. P plus S equals forever. It was a heart around it. I said, man, that's my girlfriend. They're like, that ain't your girlfriend. Why don't you go kiss her if she's your girlfriend? I said, no problem. So I go walk it up, you know, and you got your little, you're walking pretty good. Hey, hey, I'd look cool back in then, back then. She's laughing at me. So, I, you know, I walk up, and, and she's on top of the monkey bars, you know, those things that have been banned from playgrounds now because of the injuries. And so she's on top of the monkey bars, and I go right up to her, and I said, hey, how you doing? She's like, yeah. And I said, um, why don't you give me a kiss? The next thing you know, I go to the hospital because she pushed me off and I broke my arm, right? I, said, I couldn't back it up. The guys laughed at me, you know, and, and, um, and I couldn't back it up. But today I want you to know that God is going to tell us the reason why we can believe this prophecy because God can back it up. God can back up what is about to be revealed. And this morning we're actually going to see the Trinity at work in just these few verses the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I believe that they are still working today on our behalf. So let's look at verses 4 and 5. It says, John 
to the seven churches in the providence of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, these several verses pack a whole lot of punch. And John is basically saying this, listen, this is the revelation that I got from Jesus Christ. It is meant for us to give to the churches today. You will be blessed if you take it to heart. And here is the weight. Here is the substance. Here is the reason why you should believe what is about to happen. Because the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are all involved in what we are going to hear John is given this revelation from Jesus, unveiling what is going to happen. The book tells us that it was written to the seven churches. These were real churches. These weren't just, just uh, you know, churches he made up or symbolism. These were actual churches uh, in that day. But do you notice something? That these churches were not, there's more churches than just these seven that are mentioned. There are more churches around than just these seven. But why did God just give us seven letters to the churches? Because in these seven letters pretty much summarize all of the church. God is addressing all of the issues that he wants to in these seven churches. And it's important because John wants to write it down. I don't know about you, but I like to write things down. I have to write things down in order to remember it. Even, even if I just have my cell phone, I have an app that I just open it and I write a quick text. And every morning at 5.30, I get a, a reminder, check your digital inbox. And it literally is just check your inbox. And then I take that and I write it down. And so I'm always writing things down. And because it's important to remember what you write down. Um, and I remember one time I was leaving to go to work in the cities one day, and I, I, I just wanted to remember to write down this note, and so I wrote this note down, and I left it on my desk. And when I came home, um, it was about, you know, like five in the afternoon, and I said, hey, honey, how you doing? And she was hot. And I'm not talking like beauty. I'm talking heat. I mean, she was mad. She was, and I said, hey, baby, what's going on? Where's the kids? You know, because that's the first thing you ask for. Where's the kids? So you can have a buffer between you and the person that is about ready to unload on you. And I said, well, she says, the kids are in bed. I'm like, it's five o'clock in the afternoon. They're in bed. I got to talk to you. Come here. And she comes down, brings me down to the office, and she shows me this note. She goes, what is this? And it simply had on there, Nasty letter, nasty letter, Taylor. And I said, oh, that was a song I wanted to remember. It's called Nasty Letter by Otis Taylor. Oh, okay, what do you want for dinner? <laughs> you know, I was like, woo, woo. It was a song that I heard, and it was really good classic, you know, like guitar riffs in there. And so I wrote it down, and that came from the, and that reminded me of the Little House on the Prairie episode where Amonzo left, the, left a letter, and, and, and Laura found it, and she got mad and kept breaking Charles's windows. It's a great episode. Season 7, episode 7. It's a great show. So, but this happened, and, and, and John is writing down this revelation because he wants people to remember it. He wants to spread it out to the churches. The churches, these were churches in part of the western part of Turkey, and um, nowadays it would be in the western part of Turkey. And so, so these seven churches are about ready to receive this letter, and John wants to let the churches know that they can believe the prophecy because of the author's and who it's from. 
And so here we are going to see that in these couple verses, the Trinity is being revealed. Now, the Trinity is very hard to see in the Bible. Now, we tend to read into the Old Testament what we know from the New Testament. What we tend to read into the Old Testament, what we know from the New Testament. But you have to remember that the Old Testament was given to the people to guide them to move them forward. And if I asked you, if I told you that there is no evidence in the Old Testament that God was going to send his son to suffer and die and raise again, you would say, no, 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 no. Isaiah 53, it tells us about the suffering servant. What we do is we tend to read back into Isaiah what we know God did. And, and this is important to understand because when Jesus said that he was going to die, do you remember what Peter did? Peter rebuked Jesus and said, no, this isn't going to happen. No, this isn't right. And Jesus says, hey, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what's going on. You don't have any idea what the Father has planned. Why didn't he quote Isaiah 53? Oh, oh yeah, don't worry, disciples. Don't worry, guys, because Jesus, it, this is Isaiah 53 just coming to pass. No, we tend to look back into the Old Testament and, and read what we know. But it was a mystery, and that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this. We declare, chapter 2, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of the age understood it, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is saying this, that if the devil knew the plans that God had, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus. He would have left him alone, because why would you make him die and raise from the dead and become the the the, the perfect sacrifice for salvation, why would you allow that to happen? And so we must understand that, that we, we are always looking back into the Old Testament and we're reading. And Isaiah 53 is talking about Jesus. We know that now. And the reason why I say that is because the Trinity is very hard to see in the Old Testament. You don't really see the Trinity that much. And, and if you look at, well, Genesis 3 talks about it. Yeah, but there are, there are a lot of uh, language things that are going on that give this illusion. And now we can look back and we can say where God says, let us create man in our own image. We can see now where the Trinity is at work. But the Trinity really starts to shape in the New Testament when we see this in the baptism of John where the Jesus is being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him with the dove and the Father speaks from heaven. You begin to see this and even Jesus said, go in my name in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here in Revelation, the Trinity is put right up front for us to see. So let's break down these few verses. Grace and peace to you, verse 4. Grace and peace to you from him who was and is and is to come. We are talking about the Father who was and is and is to come. The book of Revelation confirms the identity of the one who is and who was and is to come. Revelation 4.8 says this. Each of the four living creatures had six wings covered with six eyes, all, all under its, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation eleven seventeen talks about the 24 elders. And they say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. 
The title of Lord Almighty is found eight times in the New Testament. This word is found eight times in the New Testament. Seven times it is located in the book of Revelation. And every single time it is talking about the Father. And you say, well, wait a minute. What about Revelations 1? Where it says that I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come. Jesus said this himself. Jesus said this at the end of the book in Revelation 22, where it talks about I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But he did not put this title on there. Because look what Revelation 1.8 says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. And every time the book of Revelation brings that title, the Almighty, we are talking about the Father. And the Bible says that grace and peace came from you who was and is and who is to come. This is talking about the Father. And so we see the Father being identified here in the first part. Why is it so important to know that the Heavenly Father is the one who is and was and is to come? Because He is eternally present and able to help His people in any age, in any situation, at any time. The Father has guided you in the past. The Father has a future plan for you. And the Father is here in the present with you today. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God has been with me. My life continues to guide me going forward. And more importantly, he is with me right now. He is the father who never changes the one who is and who was and is to come. Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to him to swear by, he swore to himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, he and we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this anchor, this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let me explain what this chapter is talking about in Hebrews 6. That we can hold on to the hope that we have in the Father. The one who was and is and is to come. The one who never changes. We can have this hope that there are two unchangeable things we can rely upon. We can rely upon the Heavenly Father for two unchangeable things. Number one, that he has made a promise. He said it to Abraham, which continues to be um, handed down to us. And the promise is this, I will surely bless you. The first thing that is unchangeable is that God has promised to bless his people. God has promised to bless you. That is the first thing that will never change. And it is okay if you wake up in the morning and say, Father, bless me today according to the promise that you have given me. Bless me today because you never change. You are the one who was and is and is to come. Father, bless me. That's the first unchangeable thing. The second unchangeable thing that has been written in Hebrews is this. He backs up his promise with his commitment and his oath. God says this, I will bless you and you can believe it because I spoke it. You can believe it because I said it. I'm the one, the Lord Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. I'm the one who never changes and you can believe it because I said it. And I put it in an oath, a promise to you. I will surely bless you. 
And I promise by giving you the oath, by giving you the promise, the commitment, the covenant. You see, God never changes. The Father never changes. And I want you to know that your Father who has guided you in the past, who, is, who will be with you tomorrow, is with you also today. And He promised He would bless you. And He will not change because He made an oath. That is so important to know. Because even in the midst when you feel like everything is lost and you feel hopelessness and you feel like God is not with you, I want you to know He never changes. He never changes. Over these last years, these several years that my family and I have been on this journey of faith, we have always remembered that God is with us. And when we have forgotten, and sometimes we do, don't we? And when we have forgotten, He always sends reminders, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. Because I am the one who was and is and is to come. You can rely upon me. I'm your Father. And hold on to him. Let that be the anchor of your soul. Make it firm that you trust the Father. And so John is saying grace and peace to you from the one who is and is, who was and is to come. And then he talks about the seven spirits before his throne. The seven spirits. This is a sevenfold characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Of the numbers that are carried with meaning in the book of Revelation or even in the Bible, you know that seven is important. Seven is important. Our whole calendar is based off a seven-day week. Where did we get this from? From the Lord who, who created a, a heaven and earth in six days and on the seventh day He rested and then it starts all over again. You know that throughout history, people have tried to change that. People have tried to make a better number system so that the calendar works out in a different, unique way, but it never worked out. Why? Because seven is perfect. It represents completeness, just like God wrote to the seven churches. Yes, there were many other churches around at the time, but seven says that this is the completeness. This is whole. Here, seven spirits before the fathers to show us the completeness of the Holy Spirit. And this is referenced back in Isaiah 11. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You have this sevenfold characteristic of the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's the spirit of the Lord. It's the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, of counsel, of might or power and of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. These seven things, these seven things represent the Holy Spirit. And why is it so important for us to know the, the, the completeness of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus simply said this in Matthew 11, verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. It's so important to understand that Jesus was going to send another one, the advocate, the Holy Spirit that will come and reveal the words of Christ. And Jesus said, there's no way you can know me unless you know the Holy Spirit because he will tell you about me. He will, he will show you who I am. And if you know me, you know the Father. The Holy Spirit is, is how we understand who Jesus is and how we understand who the Father is. John 16 tells us this. I have much to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
talking about the Holy Spirit. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come, what is yet to come. And he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what will be made known to you. And all that belongs to the Father's mind. And that's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what I will make known to you. The Holy, Com- Holy Spirit comes to speak to us the words of Jesus, to help us understand who he is so that we can know who the Father is. Having the Holy Spirit inside of us helps us, helps us understand who the Father is, gives us wisdom and understanding and knowledge of who the Father is, gives us counsel, gives us power, helps us to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord, you know, the fear of the Lord is very hard to define in Scripture, but it's about that deep reverence, that deep awe that you just know that you know that God is God. And it's just an awakening that happens in your spirit, and it only comes through the Holy Spirit because there's something powerful happening inside of you. You know, a lot of times we don't see with our eyes things that are hidden from our natural eyes. An example of this, I used to work at a food testing laboratory, and uh, my friend who used to teach the food safety class would tell me the story about what he used to do, and he had to stop doing it because it was embarrassing. And what he would do is, is throughout the class, he was teaching on hand washing and good hand washing techniques. And he would have them, he would shake their hands and say, welcome to the class, welcome to the class. And he would shake all their hands. And, um, and then he would tell them to go and practice good hand washing techniques. And then they would come down and they all sit there. And he says, did everyone wash their hands good? Yes, yes. And then he would turn the lights off and he would bring out this UV light. And this light would begin to glow all of the powder that was on his hand and then see if they actually washed their hands. Well, it was embarrassing because people would come back and there'd be powder on their face. There would be powder on certain parts of their body. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing because the idea was that you can't see how quickly things spread. And the Holy Spirit is inside of us and people can't, you can't see that with your natural eyes. But I want to tell you something that when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, there is something unique about you. Why do you think people can sense other brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, we look like normal people, but most of us look like normal people. But but when the Holy Spirit is inside of us, there is something that is radiating from within us that people don't see. But when we go visit a different church or we go visit people that are brothers and sisters in Christ, there's something inside of us that says, man, this is good. I feel that fellowship. I feel that closeness with you. And how many sometimes you go to like family reunions and there's someone there that is being rebellious, someone who's running from the Lord, someone who doesn't believe in God, and you walk into that room, family members that you spoke to with years, but then you feel that there's this tension between you two. That's the Spirit of God. Look what Ephesians tells us in chapter 1. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. You were marked in Him and sealed the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who God's possession to the praise and glory of the Lord. You were marked with a seal. The Holy Spirit is a part of you. We were sealed with a certification that we have been saved and we are his. Not only do we see the Father who was and is and is to come, not only do we see the Father who has always been there all of our life, but now the Holy Spirit who is complete lives in us and it is a part of our life. Then Christ. 
Jesus Christ. Let's look at this verse again. John to the seven, seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him, talking about the Father, who was and is and who is to come, from and from the seven spirits before the throne, from the Holy Spirit, and third, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is given this threefold title here, but this is from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus. And let's look quickly at his title. He's the faithful witness. This reinforces the role that he has in giving this revelation to the church from the Father. Once again, verse 1 says, the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. This is from Jesus Christ. We can, first of all, trust the book of Revelation because Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. He will not fail, and his words are true. And you can trust what he tells you. You can trust what he speaks because he has witnessed this. You can't be a witness to something if you're not a part of it. You can't be a witness to something if you don't have any background or any evidence that you have witnessed yourself. But Jesus is the faithful witness. His testimony will never fail. The second thing is he was also called the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. This is given as a title of authority. When we were younger, my parents dropped us off at my Aunt Benny's. And my Aunt Benny, she was, um, she was gone, and so my sister was in charge. And the reason why we knew that my sister Loop was in charge is because she told us she was in charge. She was the oldest one there, and how many know that the oldest one is always in charge? And so she told all of us, all of you, I'm in charge. And so we were there, and I just, you know, I thought, you know, this isn't right. This is not the government that I signed up for. We're going to have a regime change. We're going to throw, we're going to have a coup, and we're going to overtake my sister. And so I hired my cousin Steve to go and to take my sister out. I said, Steve, you got to do whatever you got to do, but you got to take her out, man. We got to have a change of power. We need a new established government in this place. And Steve goes, okay, I will. And so he goes over there. And the next thing you know, I see my cousin Steve just flying across the room. And I grabbed that broom. I said, Loop's in charge. Loop's in charge. I wasn't messing around because when the person who is in charge is there, you follow the orders. And the title was given to Jesus and declared him sovereign over the churches by virtue of his death and resurrection from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. And because of that title, he has all power, all authority. Colossians 1.18 tells us he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy Jesus is above all things, all authority, all power is in his hands. And the reason is because he is firstborn. He is superior. He is, has the birthright. He precedes all other rights. The privileges that accompany him because he is firstborn are his and his alone. He truly is Lord over us, over the church, because he has been raised from the dead. He has come first. 
Ephesians 2, 4 tells us, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by his grace you've been saved. Jesus was risen from the dead first, and because of that, he is the firstborn, and now we have the privilege to follow in our new life in him. He is the firstborn. Not only he is the faithful witness, and you can believe his word. Not only he is the firstborn who has all authority, but the Bible says, continues, says he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This title is seen in the Old Testament, the kings of the earth. God promised that David's family would always be on the throne. 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The father told David, your throne, your family will be on this throne forever. How is that possible? Because in 70 AD, Rome came and destroyed the temple. Where are the kings in the line of David? This can only be fulfilled if someone is going to be able to stay on the throne forever. You can't stay on the throne forever as a human being. You can't live forever. Eventually, one day you will die. But this was fulfilled by Jesus. Luke 1 tells us this. But the angel said to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus is truly the one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. His throne is established forever. Psalm 89, 27 says this, And I will point to him to be my firstborn the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I want you just to begin to understand the weight and the importance of how Jesus is being presented here. We have the Father who was and is, would come, who is to come. He has always been, he will always be, and he's here with us this moment. We have the Holy Spirit who is the completeness of God living inside of us, surrounding the Father. He surrounds us and gives us wisdom and understanding and knowledge and, and, and so forth. And now we have Jesus, Jesus who is the faithful witness, the one whose words will never fail. We have Jesus who is the firstborn from the dead, who is the perfect sacrifice for our salvation. And now he is the king of all the earth. All authority and power is in his hand. How does this apply to us today as we kind of lay the foundation of the book of Revelation because this is important to lay a good foundation going forward. How does this apply to us? I just want you to know that you can still trust the Father because He's with you right now where you are. He's not forgotten about you. Don't look to the past. Don't look to the future. Look right here and see that your Father is here. And when you do, and when you finally get that peace, knowing that your father's here, you're going to look back and realize how much he has guided you and how much he has for you because he's here with you. Your father is here with you. Also, know that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that you are filled with his power. You are filled with his ability, his strength, his wisdom, his understanding. 
you are filled with the Spirit of the Lord. The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. Don't feel that God has made you weak or that all the other Christians have more than you because you're, so, you're such a failure or you don't know what to do or you can't understand or you can't read your Bible and understand. Listen, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will direct you. He's inside of you. Also, I just want you to remember that Jesus is the faithful witness. Every word that he spoke will come to pass. Every word. And that you can trust in the salvation that comes from Christ. You know, one of the greatest things that I, I have and one of the greatest things you have is the certainty to know that if Jesus came back today, we all will be in heaven together. That's the certainty knowing that his, he is the firstborn of the dead and he lives inside of me. But he is, also, he is also the one who is above all things. He is the ruler, the one who is established, the king forever. And so this morning, trust in the Father that he's here with you. Trust in the Holy Spirit that he will teach you. And trust in Jesus that he has all authority in your life.